Welcome to the Marketplace Midland podcast, where we highlight a monthly speaker that shares helpful tools for all of us to integrate timeless biblical principles into our modern businesses. Okay, so I think this one has to be turned off because I'm turned on now. So I'm going to be careful if I get too close to this. Can you hear me? Okay, well, I'll stand here then. Last night I stayed in Big Springs, Big Springs, Texas. And it was a great thing to do. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to have to get away from this till somebody turns that off, I think. Um, somebody knows how to do that. Okay, here we go. Now, this is kind of a, this is an important start, so I'm going to wait and do it right. Okay, good. So I stayed in Big Springs, and Big Springs, Texas has an interesting um, connection for me. It is that about 10 years ago, for a three-year period of time, uh, I was there a lot. And I had a conversation with a man, and it was the same conversation about 200 times. And it went something like this from this man. How did I get here? Get me out of this place. Why am I here? Um, What did I do? What's wrong with me? And I have ruined my life. How did I come to this place? And the man that I was having that conversation with was my dad, who was in the veterans home there in Big Springs. And I don't know whether he had Alzheimer's, I don't know what he had, but he completely lost his short-term memory. He had long-term memory, and we had some wonderful, I mean, delightful conversations about things I never knew before. But every now and then when the short-term memory would snap, we'd have that conversation over again. Now, you need to know uh, a little bit about Uh, my dad's background for this to make sense because my dad died with a lot of regrets in fact he died the last three years of his life what he lived for was eight camel cigarettes they would come at the veterans home and they couldn't let him have lighters and so um, I may have to take these off (laughs) they are they are they Given problems with each other. Let's see. I'll I'll try it again. I'll talk. I'm happy to talk loud if I can't do it another way. Um. So you have to understand something uh, about my dad. Um. He was a high school football star from San Saba, Texas, uh, a college football star from um, San Angelo State Junior College, went on the University of Texas. He was the starting fullback, University of Texas, 1953-54. He was a guy that was, he was actually my size, and apparently people were scared of him. And um, he went on to be in the Marine Corps. He was a highly decorated Marine Corps officer. Um, he uh, 
uh, had two tours of duty in Vietnam. Uh, he's buried at Arlington National Cemetery. His burial was a full Marine Corps, 200-person Marine Corps band. It was incredible. It was wonderful. So my dad uh, was, was a patriot. My dad did some very heroic things. But in the major areas of life, loving God, loving his wife, fathering his children, he was a failure. And he knew it. And it was miserable, although he knew it for short periods of time. And, um, and, and I promise to end at one o'clock. I'm hoping uh, I'll talk a little bit here. We'll sit down, we'll have some questions, and then I'll come back up for questions and answers. Frankly, I'm better at questions and answers than I am at uh, talks. But, um, but, I, but I, wanna, I wanna end my, what I'm saying about my dad right there because I do have some, some good news that I can tell you at the end. But you have to know that about me, and really what I'm talking about today is living a life where you don't have any regrets. Uh, what Kyle was saying, maybe partially why I'm animated the way I am, is because I knew my dad had a lot of regrets. You also need to know a little bit about my background. Some of the things you read um, have informed my life. Uh, but an, uh, another thing uh, that happened to me, and I, I don't know why, but I'm 58, and starting at about 11, I became a really keen observer of life. I know that sounds crazy, 11-year-old, but I was. And, um, and along the way, I've had some circumstances where I've basically talked about the same thing I'm getting ready to talk to you about with very, very different groups of people. So I had a, a circumstance when I was in business school in Boston. I was a teaching fellow in economics at Harvard University. I had juniors from Harvard that I taught economics to. I was a member of the faculty club, which is a really cool thing. They actually paid me to do this, paid me more money than I'd ever made in my life, and I would have done it for free. And, um, and it was a wonderful experience, but the other thing that happened is I had gotten to be friends with a fellow named Peter Gomes, and Peter Gomes was the, was the preacher of the Memorial Church, which is in the middle of Harvard University. Now, if any of you know about Harvard University, you wouldn't think that would be a great place where there'd be spiritual insights, but Peter Gomes and I differed on a lot of things, but he knew that Jesus Christ was the only son of the only living God, and that's what he preached. And so he was a guy, and so I, in my little economics course, I had all these world-class cellists and physics physicists and all these other things. They did not understand national income accounting. It was weird that they could not get the economics I was teaching. It was kind of like a business economics course. Um, but I would just invite him. I would say, hey, we're going to have tea or we're going to have lunch over at the faculty club. At the faculty club, if you remember, you could bring anybody you wanted to and everybody ate for free. I mean, it was just the coolest thing. So I, I ate there all the time. And, um, and uh, so I would invite him. I'd say, uh, Peter's going to come and it'd be, you know, me and Peter. And we are going to talk about Christian stuff, but, but we'll listen to you too. And, uh, and really amazingly, I would say just about every student I had would come. It was very, very interesting. Had another uh, group that I talked to. This has now been 12 years ago. Very strange set of circumstances. But I went and delivered uh, 
a lecture, a talk over a two-day period of time at the Central Party School of the Communist Party of China in Beijing in entrepreneurialism. And the people I was talking to are leaders in China, and they wanted to understand entrepreneurialism. And, um, and so I was there to talk to them about that. And in each instance, I made the point to those two groups that you can't really understand American entrepreneurialism. I don't even think you can understand entrepreneurialism without understanding Western culture, and you can't understand Western culture without understanding that it's really all about loving Jesus. And it was interesting. Both of these groups of people would kind of hear me out. They'd have you know, some pushback and, and that kind of thing. They'd sort of understand, sort of not. But we had a wonderful, wonderful talk. Then the third group that I'm informed with is the Prison Entrepreneurship Program. I've been doing this for about seven years uh, now. I did not start it. I'm just a helper. I just show up and tell me, point me in the right direction. And with these uh, uh, prisoners, I talk about these same three things. And Alyssa, if you'll hand out those handouts, I, I've got a, enough probably for a couple for each table. It does have my card on it that has our vision, mission, values, some of which Kyle has, um, has read. And then I have a one-page um, little ditty on, a, on something I do call the hard work internship. And I'm, I'm handing them out now because if I get too boring, at least you have something to look at. And it may engender questions. I would love for you to ask me questions. But these three things have really animated my life. And they are love Jesus, live entrepreneurially, and work hard. The interesting thing is to contrast these Harvard students with these communist leaders, with the guys in prison, and the guys in prison, they all get it. <laughs> they all get it. They all drink it in, and they want more. But I want to talk a little bit about what it means when I say, love Jesus. Uh, that sounds a little bit different instead of fear God or, or something like that. But when I say love Jesus, I really mean love Jesus. I don't mean like him. I don't mean just know about him. I mean a heart-pounding, exciting, almost romantic love with Jesus. In fact, there's a great example of this in the Bible. I bet a lot of you know the story where uh, Jesus was interacting with his best friend, Peter. As far as we can tell, they were pals. They were best friends. Um, Peter was always messing up. He was always rash. And then he had this terrible thing where on the very night Jesus needed him, he denies Christ three times and weeps bitterly. I think as far as we can tell from um, the Gospels, he didn't think he'd ever recover from that. That was it. I have you know, disappointed my best friend. And then in the end of the Gospel of John, there's this incredible time when uh, Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach. And he invites Peter to come have breakfast with him. And he asks him this question over and over again. But really, what he was asking is, do you really, really love me? Not just like me. Not just think I'm a good pal. Do you really, really love me? Now, I understand this to be mostly um, Christian men, but it seems like there's most people I talk to are in one of three categories. Either, uh, you know, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. 
seems to me that anybody who's in that particular mode where Jesus really isn't a part of your life, you owe it to yourself to spend some time really figuring out who he is. He is either a liar, a lunatic, a legend, or he's Lord. Those are the only four things. Most people that don't know him think, well, he was a good, he was a nice guy. He said really cool things, didn't he? He's a great philosopher, great moral teacher. Basically, that's the one thing he can't be. He could be a liar, he could be a lunatic, he could be a legend. I don't think there's much data to support that. Or he could be Lord, but he can't be this sort of in-between on the fence. So it seems to me everybody in the world ought to be in the business of figuring out who this guy is. And that's my message sometimes when I'm talking to somebody who says, I like your live entrepreneurial and work hard, but could we get off this Jesus thing? And I say, well, I'm, that's okay. We can get off it. I can talk about other things. But, but it seems like that'd be something you just want to think about. Um, the second group of people are people who may be raised in the church. Maybe they like Jesus. He's a good guy. Um, you know, I, I kind of got excited about him in, at a retreat one time when I was 14, something like that. Um, uh, I hate to say this, but the Bible says, I'd rather you have you hot or cold, but lukewarm. I think Jesus says, I don't, I, I don't want it for you. Just, it, it makes me throw up. Jesus does not want lukewarm people. Some people get very concerned about, oh, people are leaving the church. I'm not sure that's really happening. I think that's lukewarm people saying, if I'm, why would I want this? And they're right. They're just agreeing with Jesus. Now, the better answer is deciding you're really and truly going to have a head over heels love affair with Jesus. And um, I think that doesn't happen right away. For me, it happened, uh, I think, partially because of my relationship with my dad. And I somehow realized I had a hole in my heart that I couldn't figure out how to fill any other way. And by God's grace, over time, I've been able to fan the flames of that love for Jesus. And I, I'm not saying that I don't you know, that, that love doesn't get stale sometimes. Sometimes I have to go away for a retreat for a couple of days. Sometimes I have to say, you know what, I'm going to go away and I'm just not going to eat for two days because I really want to have a crazy, over-the-top love affair with Jesus. Now, one of the great benefits of having that kind of relationship is it affects every other relationship you have. You have a love affair with Jesus, I guarantee your love affair with your wife is going to be way better. Your love affair with other people, your love for other people is going to be way better. I have a wonderful friend who I know, I know, I interacted with this guy for years and years and years. My age, he had a love affair with Jesus and he let it slowly disintegrate into a like affair. And then he did the typical rich guy, I've got the world, and had an affair with who knows how many women. And, um, and of course, his wife is hurt and terribly, I mean, he's messed his life up royally. And, and you would think, oh yeah, all he's got to do is get back in love with Jesus. Well, it's not that easy. Once you go from a love affair to Jesus to a like affair, it doesn't, it's not just something you can snap your fingers and say, you've got to do some hard work. 
And he's committed to it. He wants to get back to that spot. But I don't think it's like a one week, one month. I'm not even sure if it's a one year kind of thing. I think it's something you got to work on. So if you're there, if you've got a love affair with Jesus, all you want to do is figure out a way to fan that flame every single day, every single week, every single month, keep it going. Now, obviously, that's the most important thing I have to tell you is a love affair with Jesus. But I will say that I think it is incredibly biblical to live entrepreneurially. Now, I use that word. That's a common word for Americans. That's a big word in the world these days. But it's a word that I really think comes from a Judeo-Christian understanding of life. In fact, my favorite verse, the verse I use with high school kids all the time, is the verse in Ephesians that says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And the idea is if we lived in Disney World and you know, we didn't live in a world where people kill little babies all the time and people take young girls into sex slavery uh, all over the world where horrendously bad things happen. If we just lived in Disney World, Oh, we could say, well, no big deal. Um, you know, I can live any way I want to. No, we don't. We live in a world that has a lot of evil in it. And so the answer is to live very carefully, to live very intentionally. And that's really what a, uh, an entrepreneur does. They live intentionally, proactively. They are visionary in the way they do things. I told you about my dad. My mom is exactly the opposite in every way. When she dies, if she dies, I, I almost think she's 85 and she would wear you out right now. She's created and started and sold three, th two businesses. She's still working on the third one. And um, she's just one of these white tornadoes that we, our family, you know, sort of hears when she has some kind of health. She won't tell us. I mean, she will we'll just get called and she's dead and that's it. And we've just resigned ourselves to that because that's just the way she is. But she is a person who will die with no regrets. You know, it's like five lifetimes of energetic stuff. And you talk about being people oriented. You have never seen anything like this. She's the picture you see in the dictionary when you look up the word entrepreneurial. It's, a, it's an exciting way to live. So living entrepreneurially, living proactively, intentionally, living with a vision for your life. I, I lead some Bible studies and I tell people all the time, God has already told you, if you're a Christian man, God has already told you what his vision is for your life. It's one word, Christ-likeness. That's what he's trying to do. Second you come to Christ, all he's doing the rest of your life till the day you die is trying to turn you into a person that's more and more like Jesus Christ. That's his vision. And if we just get a hold of his vision and say, oh, well, I'm going to do that, life works so much better. The last one I want to talk about is this idea of working hard. And this is a generational kind of thing. So there's some people in the generation before me and my generation where work hard meant nose to the grindstone and working seven days a week and, you know, just giving it all. And, and unfortunately, that turned out to be a terrible idol. That's not what I mean. 
Then there's the other side of this, sort of more of the millennial kind of generation where work hard means only doing things I like to do. And, um, and late at night. And, um, and, and that's not what I mean either. There's a sense in which you should be very concerned about working hard, working smart, doing things in a way that is very careful how you live, that maximizes the time you have. I'm going to give you a specific verse, but if you just look at all of Proverbs, uh, you will know that a little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty comes on you like an armed man. Working hard is a great thing to do. Now, I just recently had an employee that I had to sit down and say, you are working too hard, and if you don't quit working so hard, I'm going to fire you. And, um, and it really was true. And, um, and it was interesting. He really got mad at me. And then after about 10 days, he came back and he said, you know, I really appreciate that. I've been taking a day off and it makes all the difference in the world. Surprise, surprise, something God said. So working hard doesn't mean working all the time, but um, I don't know where anybody came up with this idea of retirement. Um, if you're a Christian man, you, maybe you get to the point where you have some freedom to do more things in prisons and other places, but man, the most uh, unhappy people I know are retired people who are busy trying to fill their time with things to do as opposed to just saying, okay, God, I got some more flexibility here. Plug me in. And there are so many places to plug in. Now, what I'd like to do is I would like to stop right now and encourage you to do your uh, table questions and, uh, and I hope to come back up and so that we can still end at one o'clock and have maybe 10 or 15 minutes of questions. Uh, you know, if you've got some for me, you, you don't have to write them down, just shout them out. So table questions, and then I'll come back up. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Marketplace Midland podcast. 